Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, episode 22. Today, we're going to be talking about QA and software QA. Uh, but first, I want to introduce my co-host, uh, my usual partner in crime, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Howdy. Hello. Hello, everyone. Excited to talk about some QA today. Yeah. Uh, and rounding our panel up, we've got uh, Zachary White. Up, guys? How's it going? Thanks for hey, having me. Uh, glad to have you, Zach. And uh, moving on to Jim Branchow. Hey, how's it going? Uh, did QA for a few years, and uh, now I'm a release engineer, which is pretty pretty tightly coupled with QA. So glad to be here. Yeah, I think we're going to talk a lot about that today, about you know the path of the QA engineer. So yeah, good stuff. And last but not least, we've got Bilal Hussein. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, welcome, guys. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to start the show off a little bit of contextual history about the topic. Um, it's part of, I, I have a lot of, I get a lot of enjoyment out of, like, researching some of these things that, you know, you think about that we do this stuff every day in our life, but we never really take the time to understand how it came to be. So with QA, um, the most interesting part of QA, as I found, is like it dates back to the to the age when there was guilds, like the the uh, the woodworking guilds and the blacksmith guilds. Um, so that the standards were in many ways defined by the um, the monarchy, right? To say, and then there was like very strict like controls, like you had to be part of the guild if you wanted to make this certain thing, um, and you know, that's kind of a, one of the reasons why there was like not a lot of innovation, right? Because like you weren't like if you were and if Zach came along and said he could make a sword 10 times better than the guild, the guild would just shut him down and, you know, shoo him away. So, um, yeah, really interesting. So then you get into the Industrial Revolution um, and that's kind of where you see some of the origins of modern QA, um, especially with the manufacturing. You got pioneers like Henry Ford and uh, Frederick Taylor there. And then in the 20s and 30s, QA shifted to using a statistical methods. This is known as the statistical quality control. Uh, 50s and 60s, you see another big jump in the evolution of QA, and that's kind of like the World War II, you know, post-World War II, you, you kind of see this like acceleration of like all, all a lot of technology techniques, and that's where TQM emerged. Uh, that stands for totally, total quality management, and that's where organizations started like applying systemic and holistic approach to quality like across the org so everyone was responsible for qa right and the whole like the toyota <laughs> mantra of you know continuous improvement and things like that um so moving on to, to software uh qa uh pretty closely tied to software development and um you know pretty much out of the gate there was there was a need for testing software as, as the programs became uh more and more complex uh, so the earliest approaches to SQA was the inspection method, which was developed in the 50s by Dr. Wolfgang Schildbach. 
Um, in the 60s and 70s, the focus of SQA shifted to testing with the development of various testing methodologies and tools. These included concepts like unit testing, integration testing, system testing, among others. Uh, then in the 80s and 90s, uh, SQA continued to evolve with the emergence of new technologies and software development method methodologies. These included the use of object-oriented product programming, agile development, and the rise of open soft so software. Um, another fun fact, uh, who coined the term bug and where did it come from? You know, something I always wondered about, like, you know, what, why, does, why do we call them bugs? And there's a little bit of controversy with this um, because a lot of people will say that Thomas Edison coined the term bug. It was in one of his letters because uh, he would develop these mechanical systems and he would, and it's, I, so I'm not really sure what the truth is, but I think the truth is that the term bug as it relates to software was coined by a woman named Grace Hopper. Um, who was a pioneering computer scientist in the 40s and 50s. And she was working on the Mark II computer at Harvard, and she discovered an actual bug, a moth, that was attached to the hardware, um, to one of the circuits of the computer. And she removed the, the moth, taped it into her logbook with the following note, uh, first actual case of bug being found. And then that's this is widely considered um, the first documented use, use of the term bug. So if anyone... Uh, wants to do some additional research help to uh you know sort the controversy of you know who invented the term bug um feel free to email us at oh we don't have an email address yet hannah we got to work on that um so anyways moving on to our discussion today join the discord uh, and, and talk about it we'll have a thread going yeah i see kyle kyle's already on the case um so i'll just kick it off here with um Zach, you know, can you describe your role as a SQA engineer and what it what it means? What are you doing? Uh, what am I doing right now? As far as senior QA goes, and I guess what makes it senior QA? Uh, I guess that's sort of a, that's sort of a, a broad one because it sort of depends on where you're at too. Like uh, your title is sort of a reflection of your own skills and like how other people perceive you, right? So. Um, uh what makes it senior i don't know honestly <laughs> uh i'm i'm on a new position right now so i'm sort i'm still sort of getting um my feet wet at this new company but um i guess for sqa oh, just, a just lot to clarify of it, i have so software qa I was yeah yeah, yeah software QA. okay yeah all right so oh, software QA, not a qa not senior qa yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah so like you know what is what is what is like describe your day as a as a mm -hmm. you know qa engineer Oh, for sure. It's a. It's probably looks a lot like anybody else's engineering day. It's it's scrum meetings. It's uh, the same meetings you're going to. Um, but outside of that, it's uh, collaboration with you know developers and uh, product managers and engineering managers on you know test coverage and plans and and planning for uh, products that uh, aren't even groomed yet. You know, trying to get insight into the future. Um, that kind of thing. So it's not just sitting around and exploratory testing or writing automation and that kind of thing. It's it's a, a lot of the same stuff that developers do, a lot of interpersonal stuff. Um, yeah. What's it, uh, I guess, getting somebody else's insight on it would probably be pretty good. What does the team, what does the structure look like? Like, what team are you on? Is it a QA team? Like, where where's the organization at in, like, their DevOps journey, or do they... You know, are they following that or are they, what does that look like? 
Uh, so the team structure is a normal uh, scrum team. So uh, full full stack full stack scrum team where I'm at. We have people that can take care of the back end and the front end. Um, our stack is uh, it's a, a spree back end. So it's a Ruby on Rails and then just a, um, uh, a, a React front end. Uh, so if you're familiar with those, either engineering or testing, then you know what's going on there. Um, but it's it's uh, it's it works out pretty similarly to uh, what we've all seen before, right? So um, a ticket will come in on your sprint. Developers will work on it. It'll land on QA since having having a ticket tested or having you know automation written for a ticket is part of the definition of done, which is probably something else you could talk about. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that's where it fits in uh, in the. Um, uh, in the uh, lifespan of like I guess a ticket and then as soon as QA is done with it uh, whether or not you do like a PM review or something and then it's done released whatever you do at the end okay well, are you like specifically focused on QA do you guys have more like a when you say you know full stack engineers are are you guys more t-shaped individuals are you working on some things here and there documentation you know dabbling in front end stuff or is, are you strictly QA on your team how does that work? Um, so in my current position, it's mostly QA for and Like I said, I'm still getting my feet wet. But in my previous position at my last job, um, I was the only QA at the company, which sounds impressive, but there were only like 20 people at the company, right? So <laughs> we're not, not really hurting for too many QA people. And uh, in that role, I wore more, more hats, uh, I guess. So I was uh, doing... Um, PRs or MRs, I guess, for the for the uh, developers, since there weren't all that many developers. So if it was a technology I was familiar with, I was getting my hands dirty with that. I did a little bit of uh, application code for a um, uh, a uh, fast API implementation, which is in Python. So um, always uh, opportunities to learn things, get your hands dirty. And I think, like Tom mentioned, uh, one of the one of the pipelines, I guess, for QA people, and, and pardon the pun, is going towards uh, DevOps, right? So it's sort of like a, an engineering or DevOps pipeline from, from QA, if that's uh, what, what people usually focus on, I would guess. Wanted to shoot a question over to Bilal, just kind of take us through your career path like how does one get even started in QA what what kind of intrigued your interest in QA and how did you go from um you know how did you start your career to where to where you are now sure um so i guess i kind of um let's say it, generally i stumbled into it i i was uh doing i have a support background so i was in um support for a video game and software publisher uh, based out of michigan and part of the role was kind of also doing QA, um, so doing some manual testing around new builds. Customer writes in with a bug. A lot of times we would have to reproduce that before our developers would even look at it. So just really heavy on documentation um, and just trying to save as much uh, developer time as possible so that when they look at a bug, they can just really pop in and reproduce and fix, ideally. Um, so part since that kind of had a QA um, little bit of QA involved in it. Uh, I really started to uh, kind of venture out a bit and ended up at a startup um, called Farmlogs that's uh, I think since been acquired. But um, I was the first QA hire uh, uh, and there was, well, sorry, I, I was the first QA hire by the QA manager who was recently hired. 
And it kind of had an interesting start there where after a week, he decided that the startup life wasn't the best for him and he quit. And I was the only QA hire, there, only QA there with uh, pretty much no formal experience. Um, so I just kind of like started to figure things out, do some research and, and uh, delve into the world of automation a bit. And then uh, from there, um, we hired on uh, Travis, who I believe is in this Discord, uh, Travis Walker. Uh, uh, so basically, he helped. He was a, he was definitely he had a couple years under his belt and really helped kind of show me the ropes a bit uh, from a more formal perspective. Um, but from there, um, I ended up you know after a couple years of doing uh, automation for farm logs, I ended up at DaySmart, and um, that was kind of where I had my first opportunity to really start build things, start building things from the ground up. Um, and we built, our, you know, our frameworks, we built our own, um, uh, automation infrastructure, um, and, we, and pretty much both the frameworks and the infrastructure went through a lot of iterations. Um, but I worked here with, uh, worked there with both Jim and Zach and, um, we pretty much owned everything end to end. It was, uh, you know, uh, fun, fun gig. Um, then from there, um, ended up in my current role in, uh, data site which is a lot more, I'd say, specialized uh, in uh, both UI and API automation. So um, don't do as much work around the automation infrastructure, but I do heavily specialize on like uh, working on our own framework that we own um, and then integration to our CICD pipeline. Yeah, that's a nice story. Um, so in your current role, are you like on your own team or are you working, right, like in a... A delivery team or engineering team, or how does? Yeah, how does um, I'm on an engineering team uh, who's also part operations team, so I'm kind of in an interesting position. Um, I was actually uh, I'm one of the few QAs who was hired in and reports directly to an engineering manager rather than a QA manager. Um, so yeah, I'm kind your, of your titles a, like software developer and test or something fancy, right? Um, it's it's uh, senior senior QA. Uh, I, I Originally, uh, that was the what was on the the posting, but at the end of the day, uh, it's basically a software engineering title uh, where we're kind of all under the same sort of uh, umbrella. So, uh, on on my LinkedIn, it says senior QA engineer. I guess if that yeah answers your so question. back back to Tom's question, you're you you actually report to an engineering manager, and how, how like what's the topology of the team you work on? Sure. Um, so we've got uh, four. Uh, engineers, three back end, one front end, uh, and I'm the sole QA engineer. Um, we own uh, essentially the uh, we're we're a company that's leaned pretty heavily into the microservices architecture, both microservices and micro front ends. Um, and so, um, basically, uh, we own the off pieces. We also own the um, the gateway. So with microservices. Essentially, you know, you want to have sort of one gateway that everything kind of touches rather than, you know, rather than the front end reaching out to individual microservices, we have kind of a wrapper around all of those microservices that everything goes through. Uh, and uh, my team owns that as well. So uh, it's mostly an API and operations team, but we do have some pieces of the front end that we own around, you know, login um, and uh, password reset, basically off, I should say. Yeah. Um, I got a question that kind of leans into like team structure and stuff like that. Zach, you mentioned that you're kind of embedded into the you know, software team. Um, 
and that tests are a part of the con the uh, card being considered done. My question, mm -hmm. and this has been something that I've seen done multiple different ways, but like how how do you guys keep the sprint running and people working when like obviously like some feature needs to be a test needs to be written, but that means the feature needs to be there, right? Like, do you guys offset in any way so the mm -hmm. QA is offset by like a couple of days or a week or something like that? Or, uh, yeah. So I think the goal is to try to get your hands on like the smallest testable piece of whatever feature you're working on. So like, uh, endpoints, even if they don't return information, you could get your your uh, your test set up for that. Um, just so you know, when a little bit more work's done, you can anticipate like we need to check that we're you know, returning X, Y, and Z, or we include these headers or, or whatnot. Um, so instead of getting like, this entire project is done and now we need to QA it, and that's sort of like, these tickets are held hostage until till, uh, testing is done, is sort of alleviated by like, doing as much as you can as the process of the feature or project is, is, uh, is happening. So it's, it's small chunks, moving fast kind of thing. Um, I, I understand that probably wouldn't work for everyone. And sometimes it does fall into a situation where you get kind of waterfally, where it's like, okay, well, we need to get it out. So let's just get it out and circle back and write tests for it. But um, I, I think I feel, I feel like I've been lucky because we've been able to make it work where it's everybody's sort of on the same page, uh, setting the pace, and we're not like dropping the ball on making sure that we have good tests written for stuff add on to uh, what Zach said, I think a lot of times you kind of have to make um, if, if you're able to keep up with you know, ultimately the code that's coming out during the sprint, that's kind of an ideal state, but uh, in some cases you might have a lot more uh, features and functionality coming out than you're really able to, to feasibly automate within a sprint or however it is. So in some cases you might have to do a little bit of risk assessment and think about where um, you can really spend, maximize the value out of your time being spent automating things. And then as Zach's mentioned, you can kind of make tickets or just, you know, kind of have a mental note to come back and fill in the gaps at, you know, areas where you weren't able to really cover during, during the sprint or before that release. A question for Jim, um, which is, uh, what are some of the common misconceptions about quality assurance and, you know, how do you, how do you deal with those misconceptions? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think probably like my biggest pet peeve, right, is when somebody asks the question, you know, why didn't QA catch this bug kind of thing, right? Um, I think that's kind of like a almost toxic mentality, right? Because at the end of the day, the delivery team as a whole was responsible for quality. Um, so that, that does kind of mean that there's like a kind of a cultural mentality change, right? Those are usually the hardest to deal with in general. Um, but I think, you know, things like shift testing left and really educating, you know, as a QA, educating the developers and engineers on the team on, you know, how and why we're testing things kind of can help alleviate that. Um, so just kind of comes back to <laughs> communication, helping, helping uh, developers. Uh, yeah, I can say that even from like, you get us reach a certain level of executive and they just don't it doesn't matter like right they just want to know why how did qa let this happen and it's just like right. i don't know how many times i've tried to explain it like well it's like it's a whole organizational thing it's not just like one qa guy on a delivery team that's responsible for like talking about being set up for failure 
if yep. you're if you're the scapegoat for any bug that makes it to production. Um, so yeah, and I um, that's really interesting. Anything else to add there? Anyone else? I'll say I think that's a pretty common. Uh, I would say culture issue because at the end of the day, I feel like cult quality, everybody owns the product really. And at the end yeah. of the day, quality shouldn't just be QA's responsibility. It should be kind of a holistic approach where, you know, everybody's as deeply invested into ensuring that you release something that works well and, um, you know, generates revenue at the end of the day. Oh, when you guys talk about, it sounds like you guys are in a pretty good situation with your team topology. But it also sounds like the QA of that team falls on your shoulders. Is, is like, are you guys actually writing the tests, or are you saying, are you kind of like coaching the developers how to write tests? Like, are the developers writing their unit tests, and you're writing integration tests, or is it truly like a joint effort where like all parties are like responsible for who's writing the tests? Is my question. Is um, it shared, or is it the QA guy still? Yeah, so I mean, it, um, it definitely varies across different teams, but I think what my generally what my goal is working on a team is, you know, everybody should at least be able to make some kind of maintenance changes to any of the tests, right? Uh, which comes back to educating the developers on, you know, test cases and, you know, the tools we're using for these test cases. Um, and this kind of also alleviates, um, you know, the QA squeeze so that way, you know, the tickets aren't getting blocked or bottlenecked at the end of the day, right? So kind of like yeah. what I like to see the QAs as like a subject matter expert and they are probably are the main ones writing the test cases but we also want to empower anyone on the team to be able to update and help maintain these test cases right because it's it's just another branch of software development at the especially with well the test automation right so like there's you know a lot of things to go into it yeah i would get very i would get frustrated if the business makes a decision to push a feature out the door without having test automation in place like it seems like you should be you should be building the test first right like that's how you that's how you make increase the speed of your developing is having doing the test have test driven development so like i don't know i would just i, I want my question is like at this point in your careers if you guys came across an organization or were working for an organization that like was totally off would you even like it just seems like you wouldn't even bother working there if they were kind of taking uh having a qa mindset that was so um, so much an anti-pattern. Yeah, I think that's essentially like uh, uh, you know trying to hold back the flow of a river by just getting it and holding your arms out. Really, you know, it, you have to really be uh, at a company that has like a strong culture of quality to uh, work on a team that really uh, will be comfortable with, with waiting until the test because sometimes the tests do take you know a little bit longer than development sometimes you might write your test kind of do your test development first and then realize that something's off in the way that you wrote the test so there might be some maintenance or at least some some upkeep necessary um, yeah and you know sometimes the, the team just has to be ready to say all right you know we might shift the release date a few days because we need tests there before we push the button to release the production yeah. um, so do any do any of you follow that methodology right the the test first or test driven and what does that what does that mean to you right or your organization what challenges do you have if you do follow it uh, i'll say for me it comes down to um 
how much documentation is there before I start writing tests. Uh, there are some things that we document really well, and we have a really solid understanding of how, you know, what the contract is sort of going into it. Uh, and there are some things that, you know, comes down from, because we're also sort of an operations team. Um, sometimes we have just fires to put out. And in those cases, it might be kind of a case where we backfill a test. But in general, I try to write the test as early as possible. Yeah, kind of to add to that, um, like in my previous role working at DaySmart, some of the teams I was working on, we were like in our planning and refinement meetings, we were not necessarily like full on writing the test cases and code, but we were going over like, what do we want to test? What are the steps? That's kind of like where Cucumber um, comes into play because we're just in English writing out the steps for these tests. You know, we're not implementing them yet, but a couple of benefits to that is, uh, again, the developers see what we'll be testing um, either automated or manually. So like they kind of have a good idea of how to make that chunk of code more testable for us. Um, then also it just helps clarify requirements for a ticket, right? Because if we understand like the user journey through these test cases better, um, that kind of helps alleviate you know, implementing the yeah. wrong thing, right? So on that note of the, um... dang, I forgot what I was going to say. But it had to do with the, uh, the tests. Oh, what is? How do you how do you determine what should be manually tested versus automated testing? Is it more of a technical thing you can't overcome? Like why? What? It, or is it more of like a we don't have enough time, so let's manually test this? Or you know, like what? What's what's? Is there a decision making process for this test should be automated versus this test should be manual? Uh, so I guess like kind of my point of view on it is automate as much as possible, right? Um, but you know, think some things that are hard to automate is like getting that uh, that human feel for how a how the application works, right? So yeah, we can write out have a computer tell us that steps one, two, and three work as expected. But if I look at it and I like I'm actually physically clicking on it, it's like I'm going back that I just don't like the flow. It's really hard to get some test automation to tell me stuff like that. So really, you know, if it's technical steps, you know, automate it, right? If you're going to be doing it over and over again, go for it. Um, but, you know, you still want the, the human eyes to, like, tell you, does this feel good, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned Cucumber. I've heard of Cucumber. Is there, a, like, what other tools, uh, what's, like, the hot tools, hot techniques? Uh, that are in in play right now for QA like what is is there kind of like a preferred testing framework or is it just like so many out there that it's kind of just like anything else it's what's what's a good fit for your org that's for anyone they want it oh yeah I, go ahead, well. <laughs> I was gonna say I mean I, uh, as far as like the the new hotness I think um, playwright I've been hearing a lot of great things about and I've done little bit of experimentation with it it seems definitely like i think a lot of the the latest and greatest tools in the world of qa are really geared around the sort of uh engineer experience or the developer experience i think historically i see somebody in chat mentioned oh not selenium it's kind of like the, the reason a lot of people feel that way is selenium really is it's a super robust tool but ultimately um it leaves it gives you so so many tools that if you ultimately don't know how to uh, jump through all the hoops that Selenium sometimes comes with that you can kind of uh, end up with some spaghetti code or some tests that are really hard to interpret. Um, 
I think the reason that Playwright and Cypress is another, uh, they're starting to become popular, I think, is they really are geared around making it as easy as possible to not only write tests, but also interpret test results. So yeah, a lot of times, you know, trying to have to debug um, a Selenium test can be, uh, you know, assuming the framework um, has, has, hasn't really taken the developer experience into account, it can be, really be kind of a, a sort of heavy lift mentally. That, that is a big thing for me, right? When doing development, working on projects, uh, that that developer experience of getting the feedback, getting good feedback, that that was one of the most important things to me um, when when looking at different tools. For sure. So well, not, not only just getting good feedback, but getting it fast, I think is important yeah. for folks. Yeah. And a lot of that does come down to like your pipeline, your CICD pipeline too, right? Is how, how do these tools implement with your pipeline? Can I you know, attach the test results to that pipeline. Can I email them right to the developer and say, hey, you broke everything or, you know. So like, I think that's like another thing to consider as a QA engineer too, right? It's like, you're not just writing tests. You're trying to figure out, you know, where in the process would this fit in the pipeline or just the SDLC in general um, and, you know, trying to improve that feedback loop for developers at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah while they're developing, right? As, as fast as, as they're typing, saving. Exactly, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like, to me, the modern day QA engineer is like at the same level, like of, it needs the same level of knowledge as like, you know, you need, you, need this, you need the knowledge of the application code, you need the knowledge of the pipeline, you need the knowledge of the QA test. So it's almost like you, there's the amount of sprawl, um, that's required to be an effective QA engineer kind of blows my mind. And that's when, when you guys were, when we were working together at the last uh, company, I kind of like had an epiphany where it's like, well, these guys are just like automation engineers that are essentially, you know, um, you know, undervalued automation engineers is the way I looked at it. And I, I wanted to touch, you know, get a feel it, to me, it feels like there's a bit of a shift in the, in the job market where QA is now kind of getting, um, reaching salaries that are comparable to what uh, senior and lead developers are making? Is that what you guys are seeing? Or is that something that you guys are still playing catch up on? I think I agree with that. I mean, it, in general, I think the last few years has seen um, kind of across the industry, QA as its own sort of software engineering discipline. Um, and so I think um, historically, QA, I think in the past was mostly a manual you know, kind of thing where you had people either writing or reading a script off and kind of going through the steps manually. Um, and then I think more recently, the shift has been towards uh, just automating all the things. And I think with that shift comes kind of a bump in salary to kind of meet the extra responsibility and the, the new sort of discipline that's forming around that. Yeah. I don't think it's a one-to-one -one comparison. I don't know if I have the same skills as like a senior software developer, so I don't know if I should make the same amount of money as a senior software developer. But it's yeah. definitely a lot better than it was, you know, as, as, as you guys said, like you're starting to see the value in somebody who's specialized in writing scripts and software to test and knowing that they have value on a team, so you're wanting to like compensate them for that. And they're not just you know, monkeys sitting in a chair, slapping their keyboard, trying to get your website to screw up anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like Jim pointed out, it's not, not just the technical side, but that behavioral side 
too, right? So it's not just working with the engineers, but just the product in general and, and the, the feel of it, right? That that user, that perceived value that they're getting. Um, yeah, that that's also another aspect, right? Just beyond technical that, uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. like we are at the end of the day, like an advocate for the user, you know, we want to prevent bad changes being inflicted on them. So we're, we're trying to see it through our own eyes. <laughs> Uh, so getting close to time here um, I, one last question I did want to ask and then we can try to wrap it up um, but uh, so like talk about the soft skills required for the job you know it does sound like there's a lot of communication a um, lot of um, working with other humans so you know how important are the, is, is there a role for um, QA engineer who is not um, you know, like, and it wants to be an introvert and just like, you know, sit in a cave and write, write tests. Is that, or is it, do you need those soft skills to excel in your career? I personally think so. I mean, at the end of the day, a, a software QA is, is a role that involves really talking to being able to effectively communicate with a lot of folks in different areas of the org, you know, whether it's leadership on your own team or product and product managers, um, being able to effectively communicate your, um, your thoughts, I think, is a huge. Uh, being able to do that is a huge boon. Um, now, that's not to say that you know, if, if you are an introvert, I think that you can still really make it work because ultimately, this that really technical skills are still quite important. But I would say the soft skills are are definitely up there. Thanks. Yeah, not that. surprising. Soft skills kind of always give you a little bit of a boost, right? No matter what career you're in. But um, Jim, were you gonna add something there? I'm just kind of seconding what Bilal said. Totally agree with it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom, did you have any other questions for the guests before we sign off here? Uh, not necessarily. I guess Jim, we we didn't really dive into it, and you know, I I'd love to know about the the structure organizationally, right? Like, um, you know, like where, where are you guys in your your DevOps journey, right? And where do you sit organizationally, and and how does that look, like the topology and things like that? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think we're a little bit um, earlier in our DevOps journey in my current role, right? Um, uh, as a release engineer, I'm kind of a, a lone wolf, so to speak, but I'm, I'm, I like to say I'm everywhere in Nora at the same time. I'm like across every delivery team meetings just um, because my job right now is just making sure like, you know, actually deploying the applications to production um, and then making sure they're good to go, um, organizing any kind of dependencies, things like that. Uh, but a big part of that is, you know, working with our QA team um, to, uh, you know, obviously I want to talk to them, make sure everything's good to go before we throw that code to production, right? Um, right now, QA is starting to get more integrated with our teams, but I think uh, historically, from what I've seen, um, you know, they've kind of been their own thing. They get tickets, um, uh, just kind of so they were sort of siloed off, but we're working towards fixing that, you know. That, that answers your what you're going for. All right, yeah, we're also I'm... like like um starting to implement automation. There's a lot of manual testing right now, but you know, we see the value in automation. Uh we just gotta get there, right? <laughs> Is it driven more like, you know, top down or like bottom up, like, oh, we need to be, you know, more integrated. We need to take ownership, right? End to end these teams or like where it, where is it coming from? If it is coming from anywhere, um, that's a comp. Can, that is a comp, 
complicated question or can be complicated, right? Uh, some things are driven from top down, um, but you know they listen to what we say uh, fairly decently. Um, but you know, it's it's definitely a two way conversation right now. So. <laughs> All right, I think I'm going to give the last question to our uh, one of our audience members, Lance, if you want to unmic and ask that uh, great question. Uh, let's, let's, let's make this our last question for the panel. Sure. Uh, do you guys uh, use feature flags much in production and test in QA that way? Uh, I know like the bigger, like Facebook and stuff like that have, have some very um, crazy systems around that, but just curious what your experience is with that. I think that's one of the things we did pretty well at uh, DaySmart, right, is uh, utilization of LaunchDarkly. So if we wanted something in production, uh, we could push it out there, uh, feature flag it so that we could screw around with it, test it. Nobody else would be affected by it, right, because nobody else can see it. Uh, I think that's a really smart way to do things, especially if you can't, like, having production-like environments, uh, I learned, is very expensive. So <laughs> so having, being able to test in production is... is uh, is very valuable uh in the current position i'm in we don't really utilize feature flags all that much but it's probably um something to look into like especially if the question uh was leading to you need to do some testing in production yeah i know if yeah, it was up yeah. to tom he'd be released into production with the feature flag uh on day one just to yeah. get it out there you want to get that you want to get commit that every that repeatable commit with behind the feature flag so that it you know it shouldn't there should be no surprises when you're actually going to prod um didn't mean to interrupt uh, whoever was wanted to chime in there yeah i was basically gonna uh, ultimately say that it comes down to um being able to uh take as much risk away from the customer impact as possible and i think feature flags are a great way to do that uh we do uh at my company we do release things to production quite frequently behind feature flags and we'll test in production because Ultimately, for us, um, kind of going back to what Jim said about, or sorry, Zach said about uh, test environments being expensive. Uh, for us, we have um, you know one test environment for Dev and Stage, and then we also have we have uh, three environments in production for each region where our customers are. So, for us, we can sometimes see different behavior, um, you know, in Dev and Stage versus in production because kind of the scale is so different. Um, and something else we kind of do to really go hand in hand with releasing features behind feature flags is we started recently putting tests behind feature flags. With um, LaunchDarkly, they have their own uh, SDK that you can implement in most uh, most test frameworks, and ultimately we'll have a feature flag for both the feature as well as the test. So in the event you know something goes awry, we don't have to uh, we don't have to merge test code in order to disable some new interaction that we've we've put uh, put in place. So we yeah. do a whole episode on yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, which I'd like to talk about. What were you saying, Jim? I was going to say, like, the, yeah, the kind of second what Bilal said, like, one of the things that I like really value is just being able to, at the click of a button, revert a change. Like, you know, like, God forbid that everything gets past all our QA checks and tests and things like that, and then we go to go live, and then it goes horribly wrong. Click of a button, and we're back reverted. We don't have to deploy in any new code or anything like that. It's just really 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 low uh, time to recovery is that what it's called <laughs> yeah rto rpo another topic there yep um so want to thank our guests uh zach Bilal, jim uh tom always 
Uh, great conversation today, guys. Really appreciate it. I hope uh, we can uh, continue this series on QA and have you guys back maybe sometime in the new year and uh, talk more about some specific uh, QA topics. But uh, yeah, great, great stuff. Really appreciate everyone coming today and participating. And I hope everyone has a great holidays and we'll see you in the new year. You too. Yeah. Thanks for having me.